Thank you, worship team, for that time of worship. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody. Nice response. Very nice. Um, Good to be with everybody this morning. Glad to be back from the dreaded COVID virus. Uh, I'm feeling much better. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, The lingering exhaustion uh, comes and goes still, but feeling much better than I did. And so I'm glad to be back here with us this morning. Welcome everybody online joining us today too. I want to make you aware that if you want to continue in worship through giving, uh, you can do so uh, if you're here in person uh, with the ushers when you go to depart this morning or uh, through uh, the online formats that you see there on the screen before you. Uh, A couple different options of which you can give if you want to continue to give towards uh, the mission and ministry here at Holmes. Uh, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, uh, as you may know very well, uh, besides the break we had for Christmas, we have been journeying through the book of Acts uh, since the summertime of last year, well, right at the beginning of the fall. And uh, we have been doing these mini-series, and the mini-series that we are currently in through the book of Acts is the Gospel Advances, the Gospel Advances. And we, we're camped out right here in the middle of chapter 9 today. Pastor Walter began uh, a great message last week for us. Uh, the grace of God and salvation and talking about God saving uh, what we know as Paul, as uh, Saul of Tarsus uh, in the scriptures and uh, before he goes to write the New Testament uh, on the road to Damascus. And so today we're going to continue looking at Saul and or Paul. You're going to hear me use those names interchangeably today through the message. Uh, But I've entitled today's message, Transformative Power transformative power. And if you're taking notes, I hope you are, if you're taking those notes, you may notice maybe from your notes a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 8, I had a very similar title. And the points may even look a little bit similar, but this is just some things that just jumped out to me through this passage and how the transformative power of the gospel impacts and does different things. And we're going to see that uh, through uh, this presentation of Saul going through uh, these verses in 20 through 31. So with that said, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. If you need the Scriptures, they'll be on the screen before you. But we're going to start, like I said, in verse 20. The Word of God says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, pro- by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. In walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
This is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord in heaven, Lord, we, we thank you and we love you, Lord, for who you are, sovereign God over this world. We thank you, Father, that for those of us in Christ, Lord, we have been redeemed. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus by his sacrificial atoning work for us on Calvary's cross, his defeat of sin and death and resurrection from the grave on the third day. Lord, you have provided the way of salvation for us, the only way of salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we are so grateful and thankful for that. Father, now as we spend this time continuing in worship through the proclamation of your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would make things clear to us today. Father, that you would take me and and get me out of the way, Lord, that you would speak here this morning. Father, that you would make clear what you want us to hear from you. And Lord, that we would then move out boldly, stepping in faith and trusting you the way that you have called us to do so. Father, I pray for Pastor Mark as he's probably in the pulpit right about this time as well at Friendship. I pray, God, that you'd speak boldly through him right now. And Father, I pray that both in their gathering and ours, that distractions now through the proclamation of your word would fade away. Lord, that we would hear clearly from you. Speak, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. For our message today, we're going to see how the transformative power of the gospel leaves an impact even confronts sin and brings peace despite circumstances. So if you want to take notes, the first note that you would put is that the transformative power of the gospel leaves an impact. The transformative power of the gospel leaves an impact. Now for just a brief moment, we didn't read it together, but I just want to start off on the heels. This one won't be on the screen, but I just want to bring you from where we ended that last part of verse 19 yesterday. The whole verse says, taking food, he was strengthened. And it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And we know in this verse, this gap, if you will, between 19a and 19b, the little little break there between the two, he spends some time away. And we know from looking in the scriptures, Paul writes later in his different letters, and he kind of brings us up to speed on parts of Acts that we read and then parts of things that we understand from his letters. But specifically, we understand that he goes away for a period of time. In Galatians 1, 15 through 17, it reads, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might find peace in him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he spent some time away in Arabia. I love, by the way, how we can see how the scriptures show different things like that. We can read through Acts and we can get these understandings, but there's a lot of places, especially in Acts, when we get to a period at a verse, and I'll reference this again in a few moments, when we get to a period of a verse and we go down to the next paragraph, or we go right over to the next verse, right after the period, there's a time lapse of what's going on between those things. And then Paul, and especially God, divinely inspired through the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul as he writes, we can find out these other pieces of information from these other letters and such that we see. But 19b says that he spent some time with the disciples in Damascus. Now, it's whether it's upon his return or even before departing for Arabia, I'm going to assume that after keeping with the, because of the scriptures, he says that he kept to himself at first, that we're gonna, it was after. But let's look at verse 20. 
After all of that, it says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Here we see following the time with the disciples in Damascus, Paul immediately begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, starting or stating, excuse me, that Jesus is the son of God. Let's understand something for a moment. It may be easy for us to assume that apart from the Holy Spirit, that that Paul may be limited in his understanding of the things to proclaim. I mean, we're coming off the heels in the scriptures of the conversion of Paul. We're coming off just the heels of that. We're saying, man, is there much that he can proclaim at this moment? We have to remember, Saul knew the, Saul Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to the coming Messiah. He knew the one in whom he is proclaiming. He obviously knew that Jesus was the Son of God because he himself is startled, not off the horse on the road to Damascus by Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In proclaiming Christ in this moment, where it says that he is doing that, it says there again in 20, saying that he is the Son of God, that he proclaimed it in the Greek, we can see that it translates as proving, which for this context means to join or put together. So we have this picture here that Saul spoke to these Jews, and in speaking to them, in proclaiming to them, in proving to them, he is tying together who Jesus, the Son of God, is with who this Messiah is that is proclaimed throughout the Old Testament. The one who was proclaimed, the one that would come, he is who he said he is in the Scriptures, He came, lived the perfect sinless life, and then was betrayed, and everyone declared that he should be crucified, and he died. But he died for the fulfillment of the scriptures for the purpose of salvation to come. We remember very clearly, we talked about this in our group on Thursday night. Isaiah 53 for a moment. It references the suffering servant. The suffering servant is Jesus. It's a picture of what happens to Jesus on the cross. Verse 21 reads, And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? We see here just how much of a turnaround has taken place in Saul. And this is how the transformative power of the gospel leaves an impact. Because here in this moment, these people who know the reputation and know who Saul is or was prior to Christ, they expect something completely different than what's before them. Literally standing before them, it says that they were amazed. They're amazed at the change that is taking place. So much so that they question, isn't this the guy that did this? Who is this? Isn't this the man who made havoc? Isn't this the man that ravaged the church? Isn't this the one that would come to bound the people to take them before the high priest? Isn't that that guy? They were amazed because the reputation that he had was completely different than what was standing before them. Imagine for a moment their their amazement and their disbelief. I mean, put yourself there. You know the reputation of him. You may have been present or even taken part in the stoning of Stephen in chapter 7. And you saw Saul standing over there, watching the cloaks, giving his approval for what was taking place. 
And now the same message that Stephen proclaimed and was murdered for about this man who died on the cross, who proclaimed a message, that same message that is being proclaimed through Stephen is now coming out of the mouth of the man that approved of the execution of Stephen. What in the world's going on? 22 reads, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul, Paul, has continued to be strengthened through his time growing in Christ, through his time knowing this Lord that has redeemed him and saved him and knocked him on his backside off of the horse going into Damascus. He's being transformed. He's confounding the Jews through his proclamation of Jesus Christ. So think for a moment for those people that are sitting there listening the incredible impact that this is leaving on them. They're amazed. They're in shock. Because this is not the same guy that was here moments ago, it seems like, ravaging the church, wanting Christians dead, wanting Christians bound together and taken before the high priest to be imprisoned. This is not the same guy. What in the world is happening When the gospel moves and works in a person's life and takes them from being a dead soul for eternity to the promise of eternal life, radically transforming them, it's going to leave an impact. Think about yourself before you came to know Jesus. Now, some of us may have a testimony of of being a, a younger child, and you can't really think back and think, well, I mean, I was probably a bad kid. That's kind of my testimony. I I came to know Christ at eight years old. I can't really remember too much of of my sin necessarily, of who I was before that, but I do remember growing in my sanctification definitely through my teenage years into my 20s. But think about who we were before Jesus. Maybe you have a different testimony. Maybe you came to know Jesus a little bit later in life. Maybe you came to know Jesus in high school or college or after you were out of college in the workforce, whatever it may be, and the people that you knew or who knew you, I should say, before you came to know Jesus, the moment you are radically transformed, the impact it left on their life to say, what in the world happened to Ho, this person, him or her? What in the world happened there? You may know somebody in your life that you've seen that. You've seen God radically transform them, and you know that it's the power of God alone that has done that, and it still leaves you breathless. Wow. For these people, they're left in amazement. See what has happened before them. Shock and awe. Transformative power of the gospel leaves an impact. Secondly, the transformative power of the gospel confronts sin. The transformative power of the gospel confronts sin. Excuse me. Let's look at 23 and 24 together. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Wow. The Jews began to get frustrated. And they planned to do the exact same thing that happened to Jesus and the same thing that happened to Stephen. Executing them. Whatever means necessary to shut them up, we've got to do it. We've got to do that with Saul. 
They plot to kill Saul. Now, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, I have to ask the question, have you noticed this common theme time and time again through our study? Have you noticed the persecution that is taking place? Because it's very real. I mean, one of the many series that we've done is, is Acts Faith Persecuted. I mean, we've seen it all throughout so far. We knew that Peter and John, very early on, they started to get persecuted. They ran into major issues. Stephen murdered for the faith. And now here Saul is facing plots of death towards him. It makes you ask the question, why is this the response? Why are these people hearing this message of Jesus as the son of God And they're getting so frustrated and they don't want to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. They don't want to hear the reality of their sin. They don't want to hear these things. That's a great question to ask. It's a good question for us to ask today in light of our culture and the things that we experience. The gospel is a powerful message of God's grace and mercy to sinners. But in that, there is still the message that God is not just graceful and merciful. God is just. He is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. He is loving. We have all these beautiful characteristics of God, but he is still just. He hates sin. He cannot coexist with sin. And if no one comes and repents of their sins and confesses Christ, they face judgment. There's a reality that comes with the message of the gospel. It can be offensive. But it's powerful and it's transformative. Each and every one of us have dealt with that reality the moment that God started to call us to himself. We had to realize and understand that we are broken and sinful people. All who are in Christ have come to terms with that point in our lives. The same is true for these Jews in this moment. They are brought face to face with the reality of their sin. They're hearing the name of Jesus proclaimed. They're hearing all these things and and Saul is proving to them the message of the gospel tying in with the scriptures. And the reality of why God had to do that in the first place going all the way back to Genesis 3 and the fall of man. There had to be a resolution, a redeeming work of God for restoration to take place between God and man because of sin. And so when faced with that, instead of being repentant and remorseful, they become angry and bitter and frustrated. And it's so much building up inside of them that they want to murder Saul. They want him killed. See, because the gospel, the powerful transformative message of the gospel, it confronts us in our sin. Here the persecution for Saul begins in Damascus. It says there at the end of 24 that they're literally watching the gates day and night. Because the moment they see him, they're going to grab him and they're going to do what they need to do to get him out of here permanently. 25. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now we see a few interesting things that come from that verse. 
Obviously, some days have certainly passed because the verse tells us that Saul had some disciples at this point. That obviously would have been needed to, the time would have obviously needed to pass for that to happen. Building relationships, hearing the gospel proclaimed, hearing his people coming to faith in Jesus to follow after his message and his teachings. But after they are made aware of the plot to kill Saul, they do what they need to. They take him by night, they lower him through an opening in the wall in a basket. Basically a little house that's built there with a window that's going down. And that's how he's able to get away, to be released. Now, I want you to remember that moment of verse 25 and hold on to it because we're gonna come back to something in just a moment. Look at 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, one thing that we must understand about the text, as I said, with these gaps in between, we saw 25 there, now we're going into 26. There's about a three-year gap between 25 and 26. How do we know that, Pastor Brian? Well, Galatians 1, 18 through 20 reads, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, talking about Peter. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Can you imagine the atmosphere of the room, the moment that Saul gets to Jerusalem and he walks into the room around the disciples? It's like he walks in the room. You ever been in a room and somebody walks in and you know there's an elephant in the room and it gets real tense and it gets real quiet real quick? Like they're in there and wherever the place is and they see him and he walks in and it's just like, is that Saul? It says in there in the scriptures that they were afraid. They were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. You have to remember, last week we talked about it. When Saul is converted, God calls out to Ananias and says, you're gonna go, you're gonna meet him, and you're gonna be there for him. You're gonna strengthen, you're gonna be there with him, help him, help him understand what's taking place. And Ananias is like, hold on, Lord. You, you said, Saul, you do know who that is. <laughs> you realize what he's done. I mean, this man, talk about a reputation. The man had a reputation. That can be a whole other side sermon in itself based on the past of somebody's sin, and yet God still can use them. But all this has taken place, and these disciples, they're afraid of him. They know his reputation. They know that he approved of Stephen's death. They were afraid of associating with him, and I would say rightfully so. When this man is known for seeing Christians killed. 27 reads, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now we have confirmation of Paul's timeline from Galatians here. Barnabas, the encourager, who you may remember back way back in Acts 4, we referenced him in that, in that section there as we talked about in Acts 4. Barnabas is the encourager. He, he comes up and he, he's vouching for Paul in this moment. He's a sponsor, if you will. He's like, hey guys, I'm gonna take him under a wing. Won't you understand? This is, this is Saul. Yeah, he had that reputation, but listen to what God has done through him. 
Listen to what God has done in him. God has radically transformed him. Listen to what he has to say. He's changed by Jesus. Give him a listen. I, I think it's very cool to note that some of the commentators have pointed this so well. That in that moment of Damascus, after being knocked down, coming to the Lord, and this may not seem like a big deal, but it, it just seemed cool to me. In that moment, Saul, radically transformed, everything is new. He had Ananias there for him, to help him. Here in this moment, coming before the disciples who are afraid of him, that honestly probably don't want anything to do with him because of his reputation in that moment. Barnabas stands up and comes alongside of him. Says, hold on guys. Listen to what God has done. He had someone there for him in that moment. Even as bad and messed up and twisted as his sin was prior to Christ. Yet somebody was there to come alongside of him and minister to him and vouch for him. None of us are too far gone based on our past sin for God to still use us and for us to be an instrument of his until the day he calls us home. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever, ever, and I don't have any tangible example in my mind right now. I'm just throwing this out there. Don't ever dismiss anybody because of their past sin. They need the gospel as much as we need the gospel as much as we need to constantly be reminded of the gospel daily, and they need someone to come alongside of them. Barnabas is there on Saul's behalf. He's vouching before them, and they take Barnabas's words. I mean, Barnabas is well thought of. He is well thought of, and he's respected. And the, uh, the Galatian account that Paul writes to us that we read a moment ago it also affirms from Paul that he himself only met with the apostles Peter and James during that time. And in doing so with them, he declares to them what Jesus did to him going to Damascus and what he did in response when he got to Damascus. Proclaiming the name of Jesus. Look at verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. At this point, there was this hesitancy maybe a little bit. I mean, they're taking Barnabas at his word. They're listening to him, okay? Okay, we're hearing what you're saying, Barnabas. We respect you. But then any kind of little extra hesitancy they may have had, it was, it was diminished. Because Saul goes in and out proclaiming Jesus. 29 tells us, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. This is the second time we see mention of the Hellenist, who are the Greek-speaking Jews, and they were first mentioned in Acts 6, and now here again. And what's interesting to note is that at least some of these Hellenists, they were more than likely present at what was taking place with Stephen. When Stephen was murdered, they, as I referenced a few moments ago, they were probably there watching or even taking part in the stoning while Saul sat there and approved. They remember him. Now he's in their midst doing the same thing. We're, we're seeing the same thing play out as we saw a few moments ago. Their response is that they want to kill him. 
29 tells us that he disputes with them. Probably, obviously, from the scriptures. Proving to them as he did previously. And he shows us, he does the same thing. The preaching of the gospel confronted them and showed them the reality of their sin and their immediate response is to kill him. The transformative power of the gospel confronts sin. It takes that, it puts that mirror up in front of people and it makes you realize this is who I am. This is what I've done apart from Jesus. This is why I need Jesus so badly. But their response is to kill Paul. Verse 30 tells us, when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Once again, we see this miraculous escape of Saul as the brothers learn of the attempt to kill him and take him down to Caesarea and send him to Tarsus. A few moments ago as we were reading, we see that his disciples hear word of the plot. They lower him down secretly and he's able to get away. We see here now that the brothers, the brothers, Saul is one of them. The brothers get word of what's going to happen and they do what they need to to help him escape. I told you to hold on to something a few moments ago and I want you to pay attention. We see here the providential hand of God in this moment. Because we know back from what Pastor Walter preached last week, that when Ananias is is spoken to by God to go to Saul, he tells him that he will suffer much for my sake. And we know from Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he lays everything out of all the suffering he had been through. God makes it very clear. He will suffer much for my name. To boldly get the gospel out but he is going to be used as an instrument of mine to do so. So yet, God says that he's going to make that happen. We have this plot here. These disciples hear about it, and they were still providential hand of God in that moment. Saul's not done being used by him yet. So God intervenes to make sure that he's free to get away from being killed. This moment, the brothers here, God providentially is not done yet with Saul. So he's able to get free. He's not killed. Tarsus is Paul's hometown. (coughs) Excuse me. Located in Cilicia. And Paul is going to settle in Tarsus for some near eight years. Where he will do work there and Syria. Now this isn't the end of our time with Saul. If you've read the book of Acts, you know what is coming. There are missionary journeys coming. There are big things coming where the message is going to continue to go forth. Obviously, the rest of the New Testament shows us the majority that Saul is definitely not done and God is going to use him powerfully. Matter of fact, we're going to see him again for us in just a few pages when we get to chapter 11. Because when we get to chapter 11, Barnabas is going to come soon find him and move forward with the next journey. But don't miss the fact of what the transformative power of the gospel does. It does leave a lasting impact. It makes people go and be just awed and be left and just say, wow, just an amazement of what God can do. But that transformative power and how it has changed a person 
And the reality of that and the proclamation of the gospel, it will bring things forward for a person that is a sinner that is separated from God and it will confront you in your sin. Christian, it will do the same for us as well, even now, although we've been redeemed. If you are in the word of God and you are living in sin, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction as you are reading the word of God. As you are encountering other Christians, it will continue to happen. Thanks be to God, we are redeemed. Lastly, and this one point is just for verse 31, and I'll be brief. The transformative power of the gospel brings peace despite circumstances. The transformative power of the gospel brings peace despite circumstances. 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord in the, com- in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Wow, what a verse. Luke provides this summary statement for us how the early church, the big C church, who at this point had little peace because they were constantly facing persecution. They were dispersed, they were persecuted, and yet now some peace has come for them. We're now nine chapters into the book of Acts, and look how Luke describes this peace. He describes it as throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Remember at the very beginning of our study before Jesus ascends, what he tells the church. He says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel went forth in obedience from the disciples. Granted, they faced persecution throughout it all so far. Granted, Stephen's death happened and it added fuel to the fire for them. Although dispersed, they continued to proclaim the gospel. It wasn't a surprise for the Lord that that happened to Stephen. It wasn't a surprise because the overall mission of God is still moving forward and it is being accomplished. We're told by Luke that the church is walking in the fear of the Lord. They live their lives in awareness of God's greatness and his power. They had experienced it. And walking in the fear of the Lord, it acknowledges this greatness and power, being grateful for his grace and mercy. But as I said a few moments ago, recognizing God's sovereignty and the fact that he is creator and that he is judge. And walking in that fear, simply put, we must honor God for who he is. In fearful reverence of him. The early church did it. We as followers of Christ today in 2022 and moving forward must do it. Brian Vickers in his commentary gives an excellent statement regarding this. As Proverbs say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He gets that from 9.10. Some readers shy away from such language thinking it inappropriate to a new covenant. But the fear of God, excuse me, but the... But 
the God of the Bible, is worthy of fear in any era. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, but he is also the ruling and reigning king of the universe, pictured in John's vision with a sword coming from his mouth as a symbol for judgment. He is on our side, and whoever opposes us opposes him. Thanks be to God for that. Praise his name for that. He should be fearfully honored. We shouldn't be walking around scared that he's going to strike us. But we need to give him the glory, the honor, and the praise for who he is and honor him for who he is. And realize who we are before him. I say this a lot, but on your best day and on my best day, if we're checking every box we need to check, if we're doing every single thing right that we need to do, the best thing that we can still offer him apart from Christ is nothing but mere filthy rags because of our sin. But because of Jesus and his righteousness that God sees when he looks upon us, thanks be to God we have the right to be called children of God. Because of Jesus. We must walk in fearful reverence of him. Luke tells us also that by walking in their fear of the Lord, it brought comfort from the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied. This is critical. Despite the chaos and the danger that was around the church at the time, the Holy Spirit comforted them through it all. Jesus told them long before the comforter or the helper will come. And I don't know about you, Christian, but I am so thankful and grateful that the Holy Spirit indwells me. I am so thankful and grateful that in my pain, in the reality of my sin, in the reality of dangers that are around or dangers that affect my family or affect me or anything else, that God is not surprised, that he is working in and all through everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, and that the Holy Spirit comforts. That is why when Christians go through such difficult times, people are blown away by the fact that they are just so joyful. Because it is the joy of the Lord that gets us through things, that helps us in persecution, in trials. That is why the transformative power of the gospel brings peace despite circumstances. They feared the Lord and they were comforted despite the cost. They trusted God. They trusted God in the midst of uncertainty. Think about that statement for a moment. Do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Do you? You don't have to answer me right now. I want you to think about that. Do you walk in the fear of the Lord? Do you walk in a way that you are pursuing holiness and you truly want to honor and glorify him with your life? Because he provides the comfort and the peace that we need every single waking moment of our life. I was reminded yesterday talking to a a brother of ours 
he called me and we were talking for a little while, a, a man that I've known for a very long time. And he reminded me, he said, there were times for those disciples at the beginning after Jesus called them, sometimes he just wanted them to just stay quiet and be obedient and follow him. He just wanted them to follow him. He made the way clear. He directed. He guided. But he just wanted them to follow. There were time and time again that we see in the Gospels that they asked these questions. Who's the greatest? Hey, 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 Jesus, one day when that time comes, can, can I sit at your, at your right hand? Can I, can, can I get a, a seat close to you? The whole time, he just wanted them to be obedient and to follow. I think that's something that the Lord wants us to continually do, church. He just wants us to be obedient and follow. Sometimes we may ask him a bunch of questions like, well, what about this? Can I do this? And he's like, child, just be obedient and follow. I'll make clear what's next. Just be obedient and follow. I'll give you the comfort that you need. I'll give you the peace that you need. Just be obedient and follow. And as we're obedient and we follow, he speaks. As we're obedient and follow, he directs our path. We just have to be obedient, walk in the fear of the Lord, and follow. He will comfort, he will guide, he will direct, he will speak. So as we move into this time of response, I want to ask you, where, where are you right now? Where are you today? Are you at a point where you're, you're not walking in obedience, fearful of the Lord? If you're at that place and the Lord is convicting of you of it especially, you need to make that right between you and the Father. You need to repent of that. You need to walk in obedience and follow. If there's anybody in here or anybody watching online that you've never made a, a decision after the Lord has drawn you near and you have never repented of your sin and confessed it before the Father, today may be the day that you be obedient and you follow and you repent with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent of your sin, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God resurrected him from the grave. Scripture says you'll be saved. And then we'll throw a party. We'll dunk you in some water. And we'll teach you and equip you. So that you can go out and tell the world around about what he has done. Whatever it may be that he wants from you today, ask him. And then be obedient and follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first I want to say thank you for your word, 
Thank you for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the transformative power of the gospel. Or thank you that, that those of us in Christ, we know truly the impact that it makes on our lives because we have been completely transformed. Thank you, Lord, that your word and the power of the gospel truly does confront us in our sin. And Lord, also I want to say thank you, Lord, that this powerful, powerful transformative work of the gospel brings peace despite circumstances. It's so encouraging, Lord, when we read like verse 31 that even after all that the church had faced so far that there was peace. There was peace throughout the region. The church was walking in the fear of you and they were comforted by the Holy Spirit. And in those things, Lord, the church multiplied. Father, that is my prayer for us today, for Holmes Avenue and our sister churches. Lord, you know the leadership of these churches. We want so badly to see the community in which you've called us to be transformed by this gospel. We want to see this message go out and, and people who maybe lived a life somewhat or had a reputation even like Saul for whatever purposes it was that they were doing things would be transformed by this gospel and then leave people that knew them prior just left in amazement. We want to see that happen time and time again in this community, in our daily lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our city. Lord, we ask, God, that you would do those things. And we ask, God, that our churches would be walking in the fear of you, comforted by the Holy Spirit. And in all those things, Lord, prayerfully, we see your church be multiplied. not so that we can boast in how many people are in a worship gathering on a Sunday morning, but Lord, so that we can boast and say, look what God is doing. People are moving from death into life. They're being transformed. They are being equipped so that they can go out as laborers into the harvest so that more and more people can be changed. Father, I beg you, Lord, that if any of us in the sound of my voice, and I know this is a, whoa, prayer to pray, but Lord, if anybody in our church, anybody in the sound of my voice, if we are not walking in the fear of you, in obedience to you, Father, I pray that you would draw us to our knees in repentance. 
And Lord, I ask that you do that starting with me and the rest of our leadership. Lord, I pray that we would be a people so incredibly in love with you, wanting to please and honor you, Lord, that we will walk in the fear of you, honoring you for who you are, walking in obedience to you, being comforted despite the circumstances that may come our way by the Holy Spirit of God so that you can have your way with your church. This is your church, Father. Have your way in us. Lord, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you in the strong name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen.